Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 47 of X-Lapsed, where we are officially on the road to the milestone 50th episode of this program, which uh, is something that I think only matters to me. But uh, we're headed there anyway, and we're doing so with a mini-series. Today we start a little something that some people call X-Men slash Fantastic Four. Other places call it X-Men versus Fantastic Four. The cover says X-Men plus Fantastic Four, so I guess that's what we'll call it. This is X-Men plus Fantastic Four number one at an April 2020 cover date. Title is The Impossible Boy, written by Chip Zosky. Pencils Terry Donson with inks by Rachel Donson, Dex Devines, and Call Story. Colors by Laura Martin, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. We got a whole new editorial staff here. This is Shannon Andrews Belesteros, Alana Smith, Tom Brevort, and of course CB Sabalski. Cover price $4.99 and went on sale February 5th of this very year, 2020. We open this sucker up and we get a roll call broken into two. Now we get a group that are known as the Feared and Hated, and it starts with Call Me Kate. So, uh, now I understand why uh, this story has to fit in before Marauders number six. It's obvious now. We also have Storm, Charles Xavier, Magneto, Wolverine, Iceman, Kid Omega. Wait a minute, I thought he was dead. I don't know. The Cuckoos, Pyro, and Bishop. Then we have a list of four fearless friends, of which they list six. Mr. Fantastic, The Invisible Woman, Human Torch, Thing, a brunette Franklin Richards? What the hell kind of nonsense is this? And Valeria Richards. Now we open our comic story with the quick and dirty on the life and times of Franklin Richards, our titular impossible boy. He is, of course, the son of Reed and Sue. Duh. He can create universes, which is a statement of fact and also might be a reference to that whole Heroes Reborn thing. Y'all notice how people are starting to come around to those books nowadays? Internet contrarianism really knows no bounds, huh? Uh, We also learn about that every time that Franklin uses his powers nowadays, they deplete. And so he worries about not having a future in the superhero biz. We shift scenes from this to Krakoa, where Kitty and the Marauders have just returned from a mission. So again, uh, there's there's no footnote to advise us, but we can probably posit that, you know, quote, this story occurs prior to the events of Moorota's number six. Kitty and Storm are greeted by Quentin Quire, so I'm going to guess Brevoort and company didn't know he was still dead, or eh, maybe he's not. You know, maybe this is a quickie res like, like our friend A.E. over in Excalibur. Now, he's kind of a jerk toward Kitty because, well, Quentin's kind of a jerk. The cuckoos step in to give him a psychic slap, uh, question, how long have there only been two cuckoos? Uh, has it been a while? Or are there more lurking around? I feel like every time we see them nowadays, it's just the two of them anymore. So 
Maybe something happened. I thought there were like four, maybe even five. But uh, I knew it was more than two, <laughs> I think. Uh, now, whatever the case, this brief three-panel bit was enough to get Quentin and the Cuckoos onto the roll call page, so good on you. Now, before vanishing out of the story, however, the Cuckoos tell Kitty that Professor X needs to speak with her. Kitty and Storm part company, with the latter heading off to Tender Garden, while the former goes to check out what Xavier wants. And we follow Kitty. She heads to Xavier's, where she finds he and Magneto checking out a bunch of pictures of Franklin Richards. Remember to clear your browser history, fellas. Anywho, Kitty recognizes Franklin, despite the fact that he'd recently been Jonathan Kented in age after a mission. I suppose maybe that explains his new dark hair. I didn't realize going from bright blonde to black hair was something that happened during puberty, but that isn't my area of science, so what do I know? I do wonder if this Fantastic Four story happened at, like, the exact same time as Jonathan Kent was being rapidly aged in the Superman books. It's, it's weird how we have situations like that so often in comics, where both companies do something at the, the exact same time where either company really couldn't know about it, and it's just such a weird coincidence. Um, now, Xavier reminds everyone reading that Franklin is not only the son of, you know, Reed and Sue, but he's also an Omega-level mutant. And Kitty immediately understands why she'd been called here today. You see, Xavier wants her help to recruit the boy to come live on Krakoa. And we even get a call back to the 1987 Fantastic Four vs. X-Men miniseries, which, tell you what, shocked the hell out of me. Uh, I, I do wonder if they tried selling a reprint or a collected edition of this when, when this book hit the stands. It seems like a, a smart play, but what do you know? Uh, whatever the case, Kitty and Franklin bonded back then, and so Xavier assumes that they probably still have a sort of bond. Kitty gives the big thumbs up, which garners an actual thank you from Magneto. We follow Kitty outside, where she runs into Wolverine, who's, you know, hanging out in a tree like you do. She hands over some loot, in the form of many cans of assumedly warm beer, and they talk about her current fantastic mission. She says she feels funny about trying to convince a kid to do anything, to which Logan suggests that kids grow up real quick when they're mutants. From here, we shift scenes over to 4 Yancey Street, which is apparently the new digs of the Fantastic Four. Reed is performing some tests on Franklin to see if he can figure out why he's losing his powers with each use, but can't come up with any answers. Franklin, he gets annoyed and he storms out, sarcastically thanking his father for carving out a few minutes from attending to everything else in the universe to try and help his own flesh and blood. Yeah, Franklin does everything but, you know, stomp his foot and say, I, I never asked to be born, right? Gosh. Uh, it's still weird seeing Reed with a beard. Um, in some panels, it makes him look a lot younger, while in others, it ages him horribly. It's Reed with a beard's just strange. Now, Reed and Sue talk for a little bit about their boy, with Sue comparing what Franklin's going to to a career-ending soccer injury she suffered as a teenager. You see, she was a really good soccer player, and it made her feel special. But, after hurting herself, that one thing that made her special was no more. So it's kind of a fitting comparison. Next, now we might have been able to escape the ex-editor's office, but we cannot escape the dreaded info page. I'm not sure if the current volume of Fantastic Four uses info pages like the Hox Pox Docs books do, or if this is just a way to fit in with those books. Uh, this page is out of the Journal of Reed Richards, and explains the concept of the God Power Theory. Which, if I'm reading this right and I'm not completely off my nut, is somewhat similar to the Flash being able to tap into the Speed Force for his powers. Now, Reed posits that Franklin is somehow being cut off from his intradimensional power source, 
And I figure that's as good a theory as any, right? We return to comics by shifting scenes to Franklin and Ben having a bite to eat at Happy's Diner. Now, Franklin, he's really annoyed with his father, but Ben tries to talk him down. Franklin asks Ben how come his father is able to solve just about every single problem in the universe except for them. And you know, the kid's got a point here. It's kind of hard to reconcile the fact that Reed can fix literally everything. And yet, after all these years, Ben Grimm is still a great big orange rock monster. Ben pauses and he ponders it for a moment, but assures Franklin that his dad's only got the best of intentions. Now, this chat is interrupted by the arrival of Johnny Storm, who informs his pals that they've got company, and it ain't the good kind of company. Indeed, right outside Foy Yancey Street are the Marauders, Professor X, Magneto, and of course Wolverine, because he's not busy enough in the handful of books he's already featured in. Sue asks why they're here, to which Xavier tells her what, you know, what she already knows the answer to that. And this is a pretty frightening thought, no? I mean... A group of extremely powerful mutants show up at your doorstep and tell you, in no uncertain terms, that they're here to take away your child. This isn't a good look for the X-Men here, and it's kind of given me flashbacks and vibes to Cyclops' ham-fisted mutant revolution team post-schism and AVX, which... what did they call that in the the House of X books? The the, the Lost Decade? (laughs) It's fitting. Now, while the grown-ups argue, Kitty slides into Sue's force field, that's not a euphemism, where Franklin's being kept, and the pair embrace. And they decide everyone's going to take this discussion inside. And so, the Richards-is-is-is offer their guests some coffee, and they sit down in the living room to discuss the attempted abduction? It's a very surreal scene, but I really like it, too. Uh, Charles attempts to be... I don't know, diplomatic with his uh, the words he chooses, where... Magneto pulls no punches, as Magneto is known to do. Sue reacts to Magneto's bluntness by jamming him into a force field bubble and hurling him toward a wall. Xavier warns her to release him or else he'll make her do so. Well, this rightfully ticks Reed off, who proclaims there will be no mental violations today. As this continues, Kitty whispers to Franklin, asking if he wants to, you know, get the hell out of here. He does, and so they do. They phase out into the city so they can have themselves a walk and talk. As they leave, we see uh, Storm and the Thing having a chat on the stoop. Ben can't believe that Storm would go along with this idea, to which she says it's what's best for mutants. She cites the Genosian genocide as the reason that mutant unity is needed. Ben wonders if cramming all the mutants together on one island, thereby making another Genosha-like target, is really in anybody's best interests. And yeah, he's uh, kind of got a point there. Um, this little bit here makes me wonder a bit. Um, Storm is very rah-rah. She is all in on this idea, which to me doesn't totally fit her character, does it? I, I would think that she would... Uh, I don't know. I think that she would put more thought into it. But she is just totally accepting of whatever Xavier is feeding her. Just seems kind of strange. Um We resume with Kitty and Franklin, and they head toward the Washington Square Arch. Kitty asks Franklin where he stands with all this madness, and he actually seems like he wants to go to Krakoa. He's hopeful that Xavier and company might be able to help him with his powers where his father can't, or won't. Inside the square, just past the fountain, Kitty points out a Krakoan gateway. She informs Franklin that should he, you know, decide to head to Krakoa, he'll never be completely disconnected from his family. He can come back, pop through, see them as often as he'd like. 
She also tells him that no matter what he ultimately decides, he'll she's got his back. She'll back him up and uh, and do whatever he wants. Now, this chat is interrupted by, well, the same chat interrupter from earlier, the Human Torch. He accuses Kitty of kidnapping, but is blown away by a gust of wind before he can snatch the boy. Storm, the rest of the Marauders, and, of course, Wolverine are on the scene. The latter has his claws out, for whatever reason. I mean, this is still a hero versus hero disagreement, right? Maybe cool it with the claws there, pal? (laughs) That's not... The X-Men are really coming across bad here, aren't they? (laughs) I mean, Wolverine is more than capable of fighting Johnny Storm without his claws out, and yet, here we are. Uh, Mr. Fantastic and the Thing show up to intervene. Uh, Reed wraps Wolverine in his weirdo stretchy torso, and Ben smashes Iceman's ice slide. Invisible Woman shows up, and for like the 40th time this issue, creates a force field bubble, this time encasing Bishop and Pyro within. She then uses her powers to hurl Magneto into a nearby parked bus. Magneto responds by, you know, levitating all the vehicles around him, which certainly doesn't make him look like a crazy villain, does it? No, he's just defending himself, right? Xavier steps in and tells Reed that it don't need to go like this. Reed tells Charles to back off. His son is nearly a man now, and when he is a man, he can make his own decisions about Krakoa, and everything will work itself out. For now, though, Reed is more suspicious of Xavier's, like, weird and urgent timetable than anything. And, uh, he's kind of got a point. I mean, why is it so important for Xavier to recruit Franklin right this very minute? Is there something going on behind the scenes that we're unaware of? Are we on a sort of timer? I mean, that's... That's weird. Now, while this debate rages, Kitty and Franklin touch base, with the latter breaking away and running directly for the Krakoan gateway. And he runs right through it. As in, he doesn't pass through it and appear in Krakoa, he runs through it as though it wasn't even there. He doesn't understand what's going on. To which, Reed apologizes to his son, and he he comes clean about something he'd done. Now, you see, Reed created a device that masked Franklin's mutant gene, thereby stopping him from being able to access these Krakoan gateways. Now, Franklin's beside himself. After all, Reed was supposed to be trying to help him fix whatever's wrong with him, and here he is putting all sorts of effort into trying to cover up who and what Franklin really is. The boy stomps away while Reed stands by all slump-shouldered. At this point, the X-Men decide to depart, with Xavier hitting Reed with a glib parting shot about how, yeah, this'll probably all work itself out. We rejoin Franklin later on in his bedroom, and he's joined by his annoying little sister, Val. They talk about how their father's kind of a douche, and cite a recent adventure where they discovered that he'd tagged them with tracking devices. Now, speaking of Reed being a douche, at this very moment, he's confronted by the thing. Ben gets all up in his face and tells him that it's getting more difficult by the minute to convince Richards' kids that their father's a good guy and says Reed's got to stop pulling garbage like this. Ben stomps out, leaving Reed alone with Sue. Now, Sue, she's a bit more understanding. She doesn't agree with masking Franklin's mutant gene, but suggests that if the X-Men had tried taking him by force, she would have killed them herself. Reed suggests it's time for him to be a better father and... Well, it's not like you had nearly 40 years to dry already, right? We hop back to Krakoa. Xavier fills Cyclops in on just what just went down. Scott's costume looks way off here. Very, very weird. Um, Xavier considers the little meet-and-greet to be a success. 
and he figures that they're not going to have to try quite as hard to get Franklin on board. In fact, he suspects Franklin will soon come to them. And so, we shift scenes to the Marauder, where Kitty and the crew are about to deal with some rough weather. She asks Pyro to wake Storm for an assist on the weather front, while she heads over to a supply chest to fetch a few flares in case they need them. She opens that chest, and inside are Franklin and Valeria. Kitty reacts, well, exactly like you might expect her to react. She's shocked and uh, rather worried. The kids cheerfully say that they want to go to Krakoa. Franklin may be forever, Val just for a visit. The only problem is that, uh, well, the Marauder ain't headed to Krakoa. They're actually on a mission to pick up some stranded refugees. Then, the Marauder hits something, which stirs the whole crew up to the upper deck. Bishop thinks there's no way they hit any rocks this far offshore, and, uh, well, he's right. They didn't hit rocks. What they did hit was some mechanical tentacles courtesy of Dr. Doom. So, uh, is he back to being a full-on bad guy again, or is he still the Fantastic Four's Magneto? Well, hopefully I'll find out next time, because next episode we will be talking about X-Men plus Fantastic Four number two. Alright, let's talk about this one. Uh, this was the miniseries I have been looking forward to since seeing House of X number one. This is This is the story that I've wanted to check out. This is the... The conflict with uh, Franklin in the middle that I've wanted to see for many, many years now. So, let's see how this played out here. I I really like this. Um, I do have one big problem with it, in that it makes me really miss reading the Fantastic Four. It's too bad it's being written by Dan Slott, who will likely have a stranglehold on the property until like 2035 or so. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of dance lot work that I really enjoy and actually love. Um, I'd suggest that his Superior Spider-Man is probably one of the best runs of the 2010s. I loved it. I would go as far as to say he was probably born to write that. Um, that said, in much of Slot's current year work, I can't help but to feel an underlying anger. Like, almost a disdain toward the readership. Um, I've seen a few of his exchanges on social media throughout the years, and he... Uh, Definitely takes the most benign comments as, like, horribly personal insults. And he reacts with, like, pure petulance and usually just cursing people out, which is a real shame because I, I find him to be a very talented guy. And, you know, if that anger and resentment were to stay on social media, that'd be one thing. But I swear I feel it in the work as well. You know, I'd probably, I'd probably put him in a similar a column as Mark Wade, who's... Contemporary work also feels very angry for no reason. Like like they're thumbing their nose at people for... Uh, for I, I guess for having the nerve to buy their book. I don't know. But uh, I would really like to uh, to read more Fantastic Four. It's just it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. So I guess we put a check in the win column because I really, really like this. Put a check in the loss column because it makes me miss a book that I probably won't be able to revisit anytime soon. Now, I don't know this Chip Zosky from A Hole in the Wall, but I'd love to see him working on the Fantastic Four or even an X-Book full-time out of this. I uh, really, really enjoyed his work here. Though they really did heal the X-Men out here, huh? They, they really made them feel like the bad guys. Uh, I mentioned during the synopsis that I was having flashes of Cyclops's... Were they called the Extinction Team? Or whatever they were being called post-schism. They were definitely being written as the bad guys. You know, they were the Magneto approximation of Xavier's dream, with as little subtlety as that implies. 
Uh, it was really hard to relate to them then, and it's equally hard to relate to them here. It's hard for me to see them as anything but the villains in this. I mean, they arrived at the Richards' door with the intent of taking their son away from him. It's not a good look. But sadly, it's like the only look the X-Men get when they engage with the other heroes of the Marvel Universe anymore. It's Everybody needs to be more virtuous than the X-Men. It's never the other way around, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, this is coming from a, the, the only guy in my local shop who bought the I Stand with the X-Men <laughs> pin when AVX number one came out. Um, now, there is a lot of good stuff to talk about here. We'll... Do like a inch deep mile wide Because I'm sure we're going to be digging deeper into this As we go on throughout the next uh, three episodes But uh, I love the use of history here uh, Franklin's ability to create universes Which you know we have seen a time or two before uh, The callback to Kitty and Franklin's bond During the first Fantastic Four vs. X-Men miniseries um, Really cool stuff And it reminds me of a rumor that was running rampant when Chris Claremont took over on the Heroes Return run of Fantastic Four, that uh, he was going to bring Kitty Pride in full time as Franklin's nanny, and uh, I remember people people being kind of split on that, but but I, overall overall it was pretty exciting for folks because Claremont had been gone for he'd been away from the X Men family for like seven or eight years at that point, and uh, folks were a little jazzed to see what he might do. And that was really a, a pretty fun run. Uh, kind of underrated, too. It's just another pile of issues of comics that I wish I could add a few extra hours to the day in order to revisit. But uh, probably not anytime soon, unfortunately. Uh, I enjoyed seeing Franklin's skepticism toward his father, uh, questioning how just how Reed is able to do you know damn near the impossible on a regular basis. And yet, hasn't figured out how to change Ben back to his human form, right? That's that's some really solid... And it uh, gives us plenty of f- interesting food for thought. Um, as was, you know, Ben's brief pause upon hearing it before dutifully giving his pal the benefit of the doubt. It's definitely something that could cause you to view Reed a little bit differently. I, I guess that is if you weren't already looking at him as something of a villain. His use of a device to hide Franklin's mutant gene is also quite interesting, um, because at first blush, it's a total dick move, right? But, you know, one of those hard things to do if we if we put ourselves in his shoes, you can kind of see where he's coming from there. Um, he's scared, right? And uh, scared people do things that uh, may not be the most ethical, or may not be... May, they may project people's best interests, right? So, total dick move <laughs> at the uh, at the surface level, but you can kind of see where he's coming from, and you can almost relate to him. Uh, Reed himself uh, raised a few good points as well, uh, especially questioning Xavier's timetable, because I, I never even thought about this. Um, what is the rush here? Is, uh, is Xavier expecting, dare I say it, Another shooter drop. Um, I'd say this is probably my main takeaway of this issue, probably the line of the issue, simply because it got me to start questioning things myself. We've talked over and over again that Xavier's been pretty dodgy ever since House of X number one. I personally haven't felt comfortable anytime I saw him on panel just yet, so adding a little skeptical fuel to that fire goes a long way with me. Um, Franklin and Val stowing away on the Marauder That was pretty neat Though if I'm being completely honest 
I kind of wish we could have maybe sidestepped the Doctor Doom appearance. I mean, of course we were going to get Doom, but uh, <laughs> it's like, okay, enough. Uh, the art here, uh, I really liked it, though it felt perhaps a, a bit out of date with the rest of the Dawn of X era stuff. I mean, it's the Dodsons, which is a good thing. That's a good thing, but I don't know. It didn't really feel of its time. It felt like it, it, felt like it could have been a story from 10 years ago. Um, which, I mean, isn't that long a time ago, but I don't know, like the kitty here didn't look like the kitty in Marauders. Um, I don't know, but it, I, I still, you know, it's the Dodsons, and what, what's not to love, right? Overall, if I haven't made it clear, I really enjoyed this. Though, it must be said that part of me is concerned that since this is coming out from a non-ex-editorial office, that it's going to wind up having very little lasting power and won't result in much of much in the way of ramifications, though I'm hopeful I'm in the wrong here. Right here, I doubt very, very highly that this ends with Franklin taking up residence on Krakoa, but I'm still interested in seeing how it all shakes out. Okay, now before we cut out of here, we have an abbreviated mailbag section here. Just one missive here from Damien discussing Excalibur number six, the surprising Excalibur number six. Damien says, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed reading this issue of Excalibur. I'd actually given it up with issue five, so maybe I should have given it more time. Although one interesting story out of six is probably not enough. And I agree. <laughs> <laughs> going one for six in the uh, in the good column, though I think uh, reflecting, I think I liked like one and a half of the issues. I think I, I think I liked issue four, maybe maybe I liked four. I don't know, or maybe I liked four simply because all the other books were so rotten that time out. But uh, yeah, this one was uh, was decent. Um, didn't give me the kind of closure I was looking for, like something out of the you know the farm issue of uh, New Mutants, but definitely solid enough, solid enough. And uh, I'm surprised to hear that you dropped it at issue five, considering you know the Marvel method as being a six issue uh, story arc. Uh, I, I'm surprised you didn't stick it out just for that one more, just to see how it wound up. Um, but yeah, this was a uh, surprisingly solid. Um, Certainly, like like Fallen Angels, probably didn't need six issues to get to this point. But you know, this is uh, this is the world we live in now. I, it's hard for me personally to put aside the uh, the monetary side of it. You know, over the past few years, I've done some current year DC comic reviews. You know, and one of the things I'd always bring up is is the you know exorbitant prices on these books because. If I'm reviewing the first 10 issues of a series and it only starts getting good around issue 9, I mean, that's all well and good, right? You have a good book at that point, but you spent like like 50, 60 bucks to get there. It's, I don't know, it's a, we're, we're definitely in a writing for the trade sort of world now where uh, we are playing the long game, but unfortunately, we're playing the long game while still selling monthly comics. And, uh... That doesn't always work out so good, because uh, I, I think we're pacing for a bigger story rather than making sure every issue is its own story. So, yeah, <laughs> I look at this and it's like, okay, we had five issues that were, you know, rotten to passable, but uh, what did we pay for those? You know, we paid $20 for a story we weren't really digging until the sixth issue, which doesn't really make up for the fact that we spent all that money on stuff that we 
weren't really digging. And of course, this is just me speaking for me. If if folks enjoyed all six issues of Excalibur, I, I'm happy. I'm happy for you. Everybody should find something to enjoy. Uh, back to Damien, he says, Nice to see some nice character bits in this issue as well. This is where I think Teeny Howard excels, and I wish she'd focus more on interpersonal relationships rather than sword and sorcery nonsense. And yeah, I would... <laughs> I would say that that was definitely where this, uh, where the story was, uh, was at its strongest, and that not only Teeny Howard but every creator in comics should focus more on interpersonal relationships than sword and sorcery nonsense. I can't get into that stuff if I if I was being paid to be into that stuff. It's a uh, that's a hard sell for me. But I think the uh, the relationships we saw, uh, you know, we had Gambit and Rogue in the in the hot tub talking about their future. I thought that was cool. Uh, Rogue and Psylocke chatting about uh, whether or not Psylocke has it in her to kill her brother. I mean, that was cool. All the stuff with A is great. Um, besides his very rapid resurrection, which felt very... <laughs> felt like a cheat. Uh, and, an abu- and, you know, it's an abuse not only of the miracle of mutant resurrection, but also a- an abuse of the gimmick. Um, but yeah, I would like to see, going forward... I mean, I'm not convinced that we're not going to be right back at the at the door of Otherworld uh, when issue 7 opens up. I'm hopeful that we're not. I'm hopeful maybe we get a day in the life story or maybe just something that isn't sword and sorcery. But knowing a little bit about what X of Tens is going to give us, I'm not holding my breath. But fingers are crossed. Uh, Damien wraps up with Marcus Toe. Or t- i got to figure out how to say this dude's name. Marcus Two? Marcus Toe? We'll just call him Marcus T. Marcus T continues to impress, particularly in the Brian and Betsy chat when he has to do some subtle acting. It was outstanding. And yes, yeah, seeing uh, Brian struggle with his decision, even though he wasn't in his right mind when he made it, uh, very, very good use, uh, very great facials, great emotion. Um, It was really good stuff. Uh, This uh, this Marcus... I, I gotta figure out how to say his name, because I don't want to just say Marcus T. But uh, Marcus, he's really, uh, he's really proven himself to be a uh, very capable artist in uh, with everything they're throwing at him. Um, as much as the sword and sorcery stuff kind of bores me, I can't deny that he's not rendering it well because he really is. Um, Shogo is a dragon. It's a stupid idea, but he makes it look good. So there's that. But uh, yes, thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts on the wildly surprising Excalibur number six, Damien. I very much appreciate it. And uh, I think that is where we will put a pin in it for today. Now, if anybody would like to get a hold of me, you could do so at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. I've kind of put the brakes on the Twitter for now, but... I've had a couple people reach out asking where it went, so uh, Ace Comics on Twitter. Maybe it'll be back, maybe it won't. Um, you can find show notes at chrisoninfiniteearths.com and xlapsed.chrisoninfiniteearths.com. If maybe this is the first episode you're hearing and you want to go back and listen to them in order, xlapsed.chrisoninfiniteearths.com gives them to you in the order they're supposed to be listened to in. So there's that. Uh, the Facebook group, 90s X-Men, there's also the full audio archives over at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And that'll do it for me today. Just uh, one more big thank you for everyone who's still sticking around with me and sharing your time. Uh, we are just a couple episodes away from episode 50, which I tell you, on uh, the evening of August well, How many days are in August? 30 or 31? Whatever the last day in August is, I was writing my first script. 
for X lapsed looking at house of X number one and, uh, Never would have thought that I'd get anywhere near 50 episodes in. So this is quite a thrill for me. It, uh, the show may not look or sound like much, but I, I put a lot of work into it. And uh, I don't want to say I'm proud of it, but I'm, I'm happy I've stuck with it. So fingers crossed I don't get hit by a bolt of lightning and we actually do get to episode 50. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, I probably wouldn't still be doing this if I didn't have folks listening. So thank you all so, so much for... Uh, for keeping me company and keeping me sane and keeping me on task. So, giant thank you to everyone. Uh, and until next time, when we will cover the second part of X-Men Plus Fantastic Four, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh